Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be together here in this place. Um, let me just say, first of all, Hannah, I did not know you played the guitar. Emily, I didn't know you played the keys. That's fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for leading us, team, and um, really appreciate it. Um, hey, for those of you who are new, welcome, welcome. A special warm welcome to you. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF. And on behalf of our church family to you, uh, we just want to say, man, we're glad you're here. We are so thrilled that you've chosen to be with us, worshiping with us here in this place. Last week was our first Sunday kickoff here uh, on campus, and along with that, we kicked off a brand new sermon series that we're going to be carrying through for the duration of this fall semester uh, called Rooted and Grounded. In fact, say those words with me, church, would you? Rooted and Grounded. One more time. Rooted and Grounded. That's right. We're talking about what does it mean for the people of God to be a rooted and grounded kind of people? In a world where it seems like we can become uprooted and ungrounded at any given moment. It doesn't take a lot. How many of you know it doesn't take a lot for us to become unrooted in our lives, to become ungrounded, to feel like we're standing on shaky grounds. It doesn't take a lot. But as the people of God, we're going to discover through the book of Ephesians that we are actually called to live differently than the people of this world. That we as the people of God are to, to live on, uh, on a firm foundation where we are rooted and grounded in a different kind of way. And we're doing that by, again, studying out of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. But as we mentioned last week, if you were here last week, we said though this letter is addressed to the Ephesians, you look at your Bible the, the, the name of the book on your header should say Ephesians. That means that this letter was written to the group of Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. And though this letter was addressed to the Ephesian people, the contents of this letter has as much to do with us today as it did for the people of antiquity. And this morning, we're moving into part two of the series and unpacking what God has for the people of God. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up starting in verse 15. If you have a smart device, smartphone, what, what have you, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can refer to the handout you received on your way in, or you can look along on the screen behind me. This morning, we're going to cover verses 15 through the end of chapter 1. And uh, I'd love to do a deep dive into this text and uh, see what God has for us here this morning. And so look with me, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, but it doesn't matter whatever version you have. Just go ahead and read along with us, picking up in verse 15 to the end. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in 
all. Amen. Amen. Now, for all of you church folks out there, for those of you who grew up in the church, you grew up in, in, in a Christian home, maybe you grew up with some Christian influence, let me ask you, have you, have you ever prayed with someone, right? Maybe, maybe it, was, it was within your church context, maybe it was in a small group, maybe a Bible study. Have you ever prayed with someone and you were taken back by what and how they prayed? And, and I don't mean kind of like in a bad way, like, Oh, how would you, why would you pray that over me? How, now I'm not talking, taken back in a good kind of way. I'm talking about like you, you sit down and you, you're getting prayed over by this friend or by this person. And maybe after their prayer, you were deeply moved and ministered to. Maybe even shed a few tears. You were, de- you were moved at, at your core. Maybe after their prayer, uh, you, you were blessed beyond belief by the words that they prayed. Maybe you were surprised. Uh, but that, that what they prayed for you in that moment was exactly what you needed in that moment. Friends, isn't it true that you can tell a lot about a person by how they pray? You can tell a lot about what's on their heart by how they pray. Well, in today's passage, we get a glimpse into Paul's heart for the church. Paul's heart for you and for me. Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, today's text is basically a prayer. It's Paul's prayer for the saints, for the people of God. Because remember, Ephesians is really a letter to Christians everywhere. And so not just for the people of Asia Minor, but for the the folks here, the students of Penn State University here in 2021, Paul prays this prayer for the people of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Apostle Paul came alongside me and said, Hey, Dan, can I pray for you? I'm not going to be like, you know what, Paul, I think I'm good today. You can go and go, go find someone else to pray for. No, you better believe I'm going to come. Even if I'm having the best day of my life, Paul, you want to pray? There, there are a few people in life that I would want to seek out prayer for. Jesus and Apostle Paul. I mean, th- those guys are pretty high on the list, all right? And so, Paul, listen, if you want to pray for me, I'll come hands open, ready to receive whatever God has for me. Paul, pray for me now. Listen to what he prays for us. I want you to see this. I don't want, I don't want us to miss this. In verse 17, he says, I pray, okay, I'm praying for all the saints. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened and opened. So for those of you who grew up in the church, you may have heard the song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, right? Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. I mean, that's essentially what Paul is praying, that, that the people of God, that their eyes would be opened and enlightened. Now listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here today, and you're a professing follower of Jesus and, and a believer in this faith, this is an important theological point that we must not miss. In fact, as I unpack this, it might seem obvious to some of us. But how many of you know sometimes what is the most obvious is often the most overlooked? <laughs> Isn't that true? It's like, ah, I knew that. I don't, I don't need to know that. No, this, you need to know this. We, this. This is not something that we can overlook. When it comes to spiritual matters... When it comes to things of spiritual significance, when it comes to the things of God and his kingdom and perceiving the things of God, we we cannot, we cannot perceive with our natural eyes. We can only see with the eyes of our hearts. I realize that's a bit of a weird word picture. In fact, I was was trying to explain this to my kids at one point and they were so confused. They were like, Dad, are, are you saying my heart has 
eyes? That's so weird. No, I'm not talking about like your eye, your heart doesn't have eyes. I'm talking about I'm talking about your spiritual eyes. Listen, because God is spirit, John chapter 4, he works in the spiritual realm. And because he works in the spiritual realm, we cannot use our natural senses to see and perceive the activities of God. We must acquire spiritual eyes. Now, now listen, we can see with our physical eyes the aftermath, the fruit of when God shows up and what he does. But we cannot see and perceive things of spiritual significance and spiritual matters through our natural lens. We need the eyes of our hearts to be opened. Well, then how do we do that? I want to see God. You know that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, I Want to See You? Yeah, that's my prayer. I want to see God. I want to see when he's moving and how he's moving in my life. So how do I see that? How do I open the eyes of my heart? Well, here's the thing. The only one who can open the eyes of your heart is the Holy Spirit. You cannot force your eyes open. You cannot will your eyes to be opened. The only one who can open them for you is the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, it's his unique supernatural responsibility in your life. And here's how you know when he's doing that. Here's how you know when the Holy Spirit is opening your spiritual eyes. You begin to use wisdom not of your own, and you begin to receive revelation outside of yourself. You know when the Holy Spirit is beginning to open your spiritual eyes when you use wisdom not of your own and when you receive revelation outside of yourself. Paul says in verse 17, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, let me just clarify this. This does not mean that there is a separate spirit named wisdom. And that there's a separate spirit named Revelation. Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit who imparts supernatural wisdom and divine revelation. That's what he does. And so here's what this looks like real quick. When the Holy Spirit imparts wisdom into your life, you begin to understand spiritual truths in a new kind of way. You begin to understand things of spiritual significance in a new kind of way. Even for those of you who grew up in the church, you may have grown up hearing certain things and yet fall flat on your life. It falls flat. It just, it goes in one ear and out the other. But when the Holy Spirit breathes supernatural wisdom into your life, you begin to perceive things of the spiritual realm in a fresh, in a profound, significant kind of way. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit breathes wisdom upon your life, there is a clicking, a turning on of the light bulb, if you will, that happens in your soul. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's an, it's an aha moment that, that becomes deeply transformative in your personal life with God. It's the same thing with revelation. It's the same thing with divine revelation. You want to know the, the truth of the matter? You will never see what God never reveals to you. And in the same vein, you will only see what God chooses to reveal to you. When it comes to walking with Jesus and living the spiritual life, you will never see what God never reveals to you, and you will only see what God chooses to reveal to you. Lucky for you and for me as children of God, you know what scripture says? God has revealed all the mysteries of his kingdom to us. <laughs> it's like... It's, it kind of seems unfair, right? Like if all God, God is only going to show us what he wants to show us. No, no, but, but here's the thing. Yes, God has chosen out of his divine mercy over our lives and his grace over us, he has chosen to reveal all the mysteries of his kingdom to us. Last week we mentioned 
that God does not like to hide from us. He doesn't like to play this cosmic game of hide and seek with us. He loves, he loves to reveal himself to us, to show us his will, his desires, his, his wants and, uh, for our lives, right? Our God is a revelatory God by very nature. The Holy Spirit reveals the things of God when the eyes of our hearts are opened. Divine revelation and supernatural wisdom. But the question is, why? Why does he, why does he go to all these lengths to do this? Why, why does he do all of this? Why does he give us wisdom and insight and revelation? It's so that we might be rooted and grounded. That we might be rooted and grounded. Paul's prayer here is very simple yet incredibly profound. He says, oh God, give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and open the eyes of their hearts. But why? Why are you praying this, Paul? Why are you praying this? He prays this so that we might be rooted and grounded. And friends, not just rooted and grounded in any sort of general sense. Paul is saying, I, I, I want to I I pray that God gives you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and opens the eyes of your heart so that you might be rooted and grounded in three specific things. Look at it with me in verse 18. He says, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So Paul is saying, when the, when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your hearts and, and imparts supernatural wisdom and revelation into your life, you will find yourself rooted and grounded in three ways. You will find yourself rooted and grounded in, number one, an unshakable hope. You will find yourself rooted and grounded in an unshakable hope. Now, now think about this for a minute. What's the first thing that leaves your life when we begin to feel uprooted and ungrounded? Is it not hope, right? Isn't it hope? hope? Hope vanishes in those moments of uprootedness. Or aren't the moments of, of great hopelessness, the moments when we feel the least stable, when we feel like, man, this, I'm standing on shaky ground, when we look at the situations in our lives and we say, this is a hopeless situation, when we look at the patterns of, of sin in our own hearts, we fall into the same temptations over and over and over again. And we say things like, I don't see any way out of this hole. I don't know how I'm going to recover from this. I, I don't know if there's any point in going any further. The greatest moments of uprooting and ungrounding, ungrounding in our lives are coupled with hopelessness. It happens when all hope is lost. But, but can, I, can I just say something real quick about, about hope? This is something important when it comes to hope. I think it's easy. I think it's easy to believe that the antidote to hopelessness is hope for a better future. Right? I think we think that the remedy for hopelessness, the hopeless situation that we find ourselves in, I think that the, the remedy that we think is, is, is a hope for a better future. And so we hear people with very good intentions say things like, it'll get better. Right? Um, uh, they, they say things like, tomorrow will be a better day. A new season is coming. The pain won't last forever. And listen, I agree with 
all of those sentiments. In fact, even in my own life, I've experienced the reality of, of, all, of, those, of all of those statements before. I have been in moments where some of the most painful experiences of my life didn't last forever, and I thank God for that. I have been in seasons of my life where this too shall pass was a very felt reality. In the moment, it sucked, but I knew coming out of it that there was a, there was a better tomorrow coming, that this, was, this wasn't forever, all right? This, this isn't going to be like this forever. COVID isn't going to be like this forever. It might be for a long time, but it's, there is a new day coming, right? And yes, I agree with all of that, but this is not the root of our unshakable hope. In other words, our hope is not in a better future. I realize that sounds a bit counterintuitive, but hear me. Our hope cannot be bound by future circumstances because it is impossible for us to know what the future holds. In fact, we can almost, if you've lived life long enough, we can almost guarantee that if we're guaranteed anything, it's that we're guaranteed nothing. Right? Like if there's anything to, to put money on, it's that, you know what, things may not go perfect in the days to come. Things may not go, things may not be a walk in the park in the days to come. In fact, I'll probably put money on it that there's going to be hardships that come my way. There's going to be more trials that come my way. There's going to be more hardships that come my way. That's just part of life. And so hope, listen friends, is not the same thing as being optimistic about the future. We don't root ourselves in wishful thinking, fingers crossed, hope for a better tomorrow kind of hope. You see, friends, unshakable hope is directly tied to the unchanging character and the nature of our God. That is where we root our hope. And that is when your hope and my hope becomes unshakable. And so, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know who holds our future. We don't know, we can't predict certain outcomes in our lives, but we know the one who is sovereign over them all. And so as long as God is good, I can hope. So as long as God is faithful, I can hope. So as long as God is working in this mess that I'm in, I can hope. So as long as God has a plan for my life, I can hope. You see, as people of faith and as people of God, our hope is rooted and grounded in the unchanging character and the nature of our God. So as long as God is unchanging, my hope is unshakable. Amen? So as long as God is unchanging... I can have great confidence that my hope in this present moment, no matter how bleak it is, no matter how bad it is, if God is unchanging, my hope is unshakable. We are to be rooted and grounded in an unshakable hope. The second thing that Paul says is we are to be rooted and grounded in a glorious inheritance. We are rooted and grounded in a glorious inheritance. Now, I don't need to go into great lengths on this one because we spent all last week talking about our inheritance. If you're with us, you remember we talked about this. If you weren't with us, it's on our website. You can catch up and, and look into what we talked about there. But in the first half of Ephesians 1, Paul laid out clearly for us what our inheritance is. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're part of the body of believers, you have a glorious inheritance, which entails adoption into God's family, 
redemption through Christ's blood, forgiveness of our sins, the revelation of God's will in your life and mine, and so much more. He goes on and he lays out this whole list of what our inheritance is. In fact, Paul puts it this way. God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. And so what that means is he didn't just give us some. He didn't just give us a select few. God did not say, God is not sitting up in heaven and saying, you know what, I'm going to choose to give my children these blessings, but these blessings, man, these come at a premium. So I'm going to hang on to these. I'm going to withhold these. No, no, no. Scripture says God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything that God has becomes part of our inheritance. And so church, let me ask you, what more do we need in this life? What more do we lack in this life? If we are a people of God who has received this glorious inheritance, all that is God, God's becomes ours, what more do we need? We've got everything we need in Christ Jesus. Therefore, our lives can be rooted and grounded not in earthly possessions that fade over time, but in the glorious inheritance that is both eternal and available to us now. You see, you don't have to die. You don't have to pass on and go to heaven to receive your inheritance. But what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 1, when he says every spiritual blessing has, has been given to you as the people of God and as children of God, this inheritance, he's saying it's yours now, today, it is available to you today. And so again, church family, I ask you, if we are rooted and grounded in this glorious inheritance that has been imparted to us, why do we live our lives searching? We just sang about it. I, I searched the world, but I, I couldn't find it. I couldn't fill all of these. I couldn't find these things to fill my desires. And, and we shouldn't as people of God because we've got everything we need in Christ Jesus, and I pray, friends, that today that reality would land on your soul fresh and anew. That it wouldn't be one of these things where, again, it's all too familiar and so it's often overlooked. I pray that this would be a thing that we receive as the people of God in a fresh way. We are rooted and grounded in a glorious inheritance. And then lastly, we are rooted and grounded in immeasurable power immeasurable power. You know, isn't it interesting that in our moments of uprootedness, in our moments of uh, instability and, and shakiness, when our lives got rocked in some brutal ways, we not only feel hopeless, but we also feel powerless. You know what I'm talking about? Like in those moments when everything in your life gets turned upside down, all of a sudden it's no longer like, man, this is, this is, this is a hard situation, you know, like, and, and you lose hope. You also feel powerless. We feel powerless to do anything about our situation. We feel powerless to fix our circumstances. And in some ways, friends, I got news for you. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because as followers of Jesus... We are not rooting and grounding ourselves in our own power and might. Rather, we are rooting ourselves and grounding ourselves in the immeasurable power of our God. Which, by the way, is no ordinary power. 
I don't know if you caught it, but this is the same power that Paul says that raised Jesus from the dead that is at work in us. Paul says in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Verse 20, here it is. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is available and at work in the people of God. You see, this power that we're talking about is the kind of power that raises dead things to life. It's the kind of power that resurrects hope. It's the kind of power that resurrects life. It's the kind of power that resurrects dreams that were once crushed. It's the kind of power that resurrects godly vision for your life. For some of us, we're roaming through life without any sense of godly vision and what God wants for the future of our lives. This is the kind of power that is available to the people of God that resurrects godly spiritual vision. It's the kind of power that trumps the powerful forces of evil. This kind of power is the kind of power that trumps the power of sin and the grip of sin on our lives. This is the kind of power that trumps the tug and pull of worldly affections of status, of significance, of reputation. This is the kind of power that overrides any of those things. The power of this power that God is working in and through us is no ordinary power. And when we learn to root ourselves in the immeasurable greatness of God's power, church, I'm telling you right now, nothing, nothing in this life will be able to uproot you or unground you. When you understand that you are standing on a power unlike any other, that you have a power at work in your lives unlike any other, I'm telling you right now, nothing in this life that comes your way will have the power to uproot you or unground you. Now, don't hear what I'm saying. Don't, don't listen to something that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you're not gonna face hardships and trials in your life. What I am saying is those hardships will hit you differently. Those hardships and trials will not overtake you like they once did. The hardships that you face in this life will not rattle your core like they once did. Because all of a sudden, you're rooted and grounded in something far greater. Something far greater than your willpower. Something far greater than your might. Which, by the way, compared to the might and power of God, it's not all that flashy and great. Right? And so we are rooting ourselves in something far greater, something far better. We're now rooted and grounded in God's immeasurable power. Friends, this is the gospel. The good news of Jesus for all of us is that in Christ, all of this is made available to us. Now, for those of you who are here, you've been, you grew up in the church, you've been walking with Jesus all your life, maybe you need to be reminded of this. This is all available to you. Now, on the flip side, if there are those of us here that are not so sure where we stand spiritually, maybe we kind of grew up in the church, maybe we had some, maybe we had some church influence, Christian influence, but we're to, at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, I'm not really sure what I believe. I'm not sure where I stand with all of this. Friends, I want you to know this is available to you as much as it is to anyone else. The God in his great mercy says, I give my life to you so that you can have a hope, an unshakable hope that you can't find anywhere else in this world. You have a glorious inheritance that only I can give to you. And when you realize what you have, 
you begin to walk with a greater sense of confidence in this life. Because your confidence isn't in what you do, but it's in my power. It's in my power that I'm working in and through you. And the way that God showed us all of that, the way that God reminded us that, that, that he's displayed, that all of that is available to us, was by sending us in Jesus to be the living sacrifice, to pave the way for you and I to experience this life in a different kind of way than the rest of the world experiences it. See, Jesus uprooted his whole world so that we can live more rooted and grounded lives. And there's no better way to celebrate that reality than by taking communion together. And so at this time, if, if you have a cup, I'm going to ask you to take your communion cups out, worship team. I'm going to have uh, you guys uh, come on up and uh, get ready to lead us here. If you.